Hello and welcome to episode 175 of the Waters Waveland podcast. Hey, 175, nice. Yeah, I'm your new host, Wei Shen Wong, Asia uh, editor of Waters Technology, and I'm joined today by my co-host, <laughs> editor-in-chief, Tony Malikian. Editor-in-chief, co-host, I like that. I like that sound again. It's been a while. <laughs> Well, actually, last week I, I made a serious, <laughs> serious mistake. I de- accidentally demoted you to uh, editor at large again. I'm to be sorry. fair, we were doing that at a bar, so we, we, there, there might have been a couple slip ups there. Yeah, you yeah, didn't even notice. Yeah. You didn't notice, yeah. <laughs> um, so we had What is USA last week. Uh, we've published a couple of stories online, which uh, some of you may have seen. Uh, Tony, what was interesting for you? Um, well, I think that the Bank of. So for me, I. I chaired a, a, a discussion with uh, David Riley at Bank of America and how they're using uh, gamer tech, so technology for that video gamers use, um, using the Unreal Engine to create like a, a very interesting 3D experience for traders. Really, really interesting. And it sounds a little bit more far out, but he says that they're going to have a prototype within about the next six months. So that's give cool. that a read. Give that a read. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, we also had uh, Sri Miladi, Senior Director at the Fed of New York. Uh, talking about how they are turning to machine learning for misreporting. Yep. Uh, that was a story done by our reporter, um, Amelia. Yep. Um, also, we had Kim Prado of RBC Kim Capital Prado. Markets yep. uh, looking at how they're, um, I guess, exploring with fintech companies of, and how to enhance data. And, and if you heard Kim speak before, she's really good, really open, really honest about technology. I always enjoy it. We, we kind of profiled her and her team mm-hmm. um, in August. She always gives good insight. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you haven't read that profile, it's up online as well, uh, and we will link it here too. Um, yeah. So, but the bigger news, Wei Shen, is people don't have to listen to us this week. Next week, you can listen <laughs> to us. This week, what do we got? This week, uh, and we don't want to take up too much of your time again, um, but this week we'll have Duncan Wood, our global editorial director, who talks with Billy Halt, president of Trade Rep Markets. I think they talk, uh, they touch on a few topics here. Uh, and you'll see that they talk about the changing face of trading. Uh, they talk about Bloomberg and Symphony, and also the power of a customer network. So um, without further ado, let's just jump, jump into that. And um, again, with me as your new host, new uh, host, we'll be back on a regular schedule now, uh, especially in following into the new year. Yeah. So until next week. See you next week. Take, Take care. it away, Duncan. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Wavelength podcast at Waters Technology. Our guest today is Billy Holt, president of TradeWeb. Glad to have you here, Billy. Thanks for dropping in. Duncan, thanks for having me. Um, now, uh, regular listeners will have noticed uh, straight away that something is wrong, something is off. Um, I'm not going to leave you disorientated for too long. The accent is different. Uh, I am not Anthony Malakian. Uh, my name's Duncan Wood. I'm the editorial director for Waters and some of its sister titles. I'm standing in for Tony because we're recording this edition of the podcast in London. So I, I need to apologise to you and to, uh, to our listeners as well, because in, um, in previous uh, versions of this podcast, Tony has been known to crack open a can of beer and share it with a guest. Yeah, I see no beer there, nearby. No, uh, there is no beer. Um, we, uh, yeah, as we're in the UK, and, and perhaps more importantly, because it's only two o'clock in the afternoon, um, we're going to be drinking tea. So I'll, I'll pour. Thank you. And we have some muffins in the toaster. There we are. And then earlier this morning, Billy and I went to see the changing of the guard down at Buckingham Palace. And later, we'll be off to take in some cricket. 
I'm looking forward to it. Billy, what, what do you know about cricket? I'm, I'm feeling more English by the <laughs> second. And if you want to ask me about what I know about cricket, we're going to have a super short conversation because I think the answer is close to nothing. Okay. All right. See, so, you, uh, see, I know I know next to nothing about baseball. Um, maybe maybe you're more of a baseball fan. I think this conversation is going to go perfectly. Okay. All right. Good stuff. So that, that's the sports section of the podcast done. <laughs> uh, so to get things moving, could you tell us a bit about yourself? How did you get to be doing what you're doing? Sure. So you know, it's funny. My background is kind of interesting because I was a, I was an English major in college. So you know, I kind of wound up sort of thinking about and getting into the financial service business with a background of, of kind of having written and read from, you know, high school and, and through college. So, when, you know, when I decided that I wanted to get into the sort of world of bond trading, what I actually did was I went out and I bought like a bunch of books and, and read the books. And one of the books, um, you won't be surprised to hear me say this, one of the books that I read was was Liar's Poker, which was like the sort of like seminal book I'm, on bond trading. I'm not surprised. I, I, one of the first things that I read when I got into financial journalism. You know, and Michael Lewis, by the way, like he's such a great writer. I feel like he kind of nails the moment really well. And so I read that book and I was like, wow, this is like such an interesting thing. I want to become a bond trader. So I, you know, kind of kind of worked pretty hard at it, got an interview and got a job sort of trading bonds. Um, and that was my kind of introduction you know, into finance. And it was after having done that like five or six years, um, I wound up around 2000 making the move into the electronic world and I joined TradeWeb, um, which was, you know, I was sort of lucky um, around the timing of it all in some ways. Um, But I felt really strongly that like I wanted a moment to be sort of on what I felt was like the future of the business. so I joined TradeWeb in 2000. It was a small company back then. Um, we had just opened up a London office. We were in like two or three different marketplaces. Um, but I remember just feeling super excited at the time. Um, you know, all these years later, I think I became, I say I think, I, I became president of the company around 2007, 2008. Um, and, you know, here I am uh, sitting here 2019 talking to you in London, sharing uh, some tea and talking about cricket. <laughs> uh, so so you, you, I, you've had the same, you've been president since, uh, so like, you know, whatever, 10, 12 years yeah. now. Um, so same job title, but obviously a lot's changed uh, in that time. Yeah, big, big year for us, obviously. Um, the company went public um, in the beginning of April, and that was a big process. Um, you know, a lot of people have talked about that. And it was really exciting. I mean, I have to say, like, that moment for the company was huge. And it was, you know, huge personally for me, um, for Lee, the, the CEO. It just felt like a culmination of a lot of things. And it's one of those things that happens in your career that you obviously never forget. So it's been a big year in general, obviously, for the company. I watched the video of yeah. the ceremony yeah. earlier yeah. on. Yeah. You, you hugged Lee. Yeah, we did have a, a couple of sort of hugging and sort of slash tender moments there was a point in time where there were so many pictures taken of both of us together. I think Lee made the joke like, "Wait, are we getting kind of married here or not?" <laughs> sort of. Um, yeah, but there was a, there was a there was a hug. Uh, but, so this is a good thing, right? So companies um, companies get talked about in kind of 
fairly unemotional terms and uh, they only get to do the stuff that they do because they're people by humans they, they should feel they should feel human so it was nice to see yeah you calling Lee a friend and the two of you have obviously worked together for a long time we have we have worked together a long time it's like we have a kind of really interesting I think way of communicating with each other reading each other's moods body languages a sort of shorthand kind of way of communicating um, and we've been partners together for you know for a long time um, so it's been a great relationship, and I think our connection has been a really good one um, from the very beginning. I've I've never seen him as a huggable guy, but but you know him. I, I yeah, um, I don't know if I've hugged him since. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a regular thing. All right, okay. So, um, uh, how are you enjoying life as president of a listed company? And, you know, uh, I would say definitely enjoying it, um, and obviously it's been, you know, it's been a great year. Um, that being said, you know, eyes wide open. Um, you know, 2020 will present its own challenges. As we all know, these things are never kind of straight line successes. So we're going to be continued and, and focused on execution, growing the business. And I would say doing all the things that kind of have gotten us here to this point. Um, from my perspective, that's obviously innovating um, around the marketplace. At the same time, it's what I, what, what I kind of describe as a little bit of a collaboration with the marketplace. I think that's like a really important thing that the company has done for a long time. So we're gonna to continue to collaborate with the marketplace, find opportunities. And obviously one of the things that you talk about um, around the company going public is really like the white space opportunity in all of the different businesses that we are in. And clearly in all of these businesses, there's still this further room around electronification. And we're gonna to continue to kind of chip away and move um, you know, in the direction of transparency in all the markets that we're in. So it's like a fun time for sure for us to be in this business. Do you look at your stock price every day? You know, I, there was a moment, that's a great, really interesting question. There was a moment where I thought that I wouldn't. And I can, you know, since you asked, and, and I'm going to be very honest, obviously, I, I would say the answer is that I do. Um, I once in a while will check myself from checking it too much in a, in a, in a day, but the temptation given, given, um, you know, how accessible iPhones are to check it, um, you know, once a day is pretty high. I guess, so I was wondering about this. <laughs> so, I, I, journalists have the same kind of thing. So, uh, in the old days, you didn't know how your article was doing until somebody said to you, oh, Hey, I read that piece and it made me think this. Yeah. Now you can see how it's going in real time, pretty much, and it's it's a real temptation to, to check in. Yeah, there's there's almost like a little bit of like this like instant report card. Yeah. Um, and what you do is you try not to take it personally when like you know there are more sellers than buyers on a given day. But yeah, there's a moment where you're like, oh wait, how you know how are we doing at this moment? So 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 yeah, I do check it. Yeah, I, I guess the, <laughs> the checking it or not checking it doesn't really matter as long as either way you don't let it affect you. Yeah, it's true. Um, so uh, new owners compared to old owners, what, what, what's the difference been? You know, um, I think the, the ability to still partner and collaborate with our old, our, our old owners who are, who are obviously the banks, I think is still vital to the company. So for a long time, I've, I've always thought of kind of our old shareholders, i.e. the banks, as our most important clients. And I think that without question, they still are extremely um, important clients to the company. So I feel like our connectivity and our connection 
um, with those entities is really strong. Um, as far as like the new owners, which which in some ways we can describe obviously as like the shareholders, the public markets, you know, obviously the combination of both Lee and myself and our CFO, Bob, we spend a fair amount of time obviously out talking to investors where, you know, we're in conferences in a different way than we were a year ago. And so we, we for sure spend a specific amount of time getting the message of the company out and delivered to the marketplace. And hopefully we've done a pretty good job at that, you know, so far this year. Yeah. You'll have heard, um, I'm sure many times over the years, people suggesting that the old ownership uh, model was clearly it was something that worked really well for the company. But it, um, you know, people have suggested from time to time that it might also be something that constrained TradeWeb, that you know, there were certain markets that you couldn't get into, certain things that you couldn't do. Yeah, because yeah. of the banks. Yeah. yeah, is there any truth to that? Do you have more I, you freedom know, now? Listen again, I'll, I'll sort of um, continue on with the, the sort of very bluntness and the kind of honesty around all of this stuff. There were probably moments in time where maybe we felt like in certain businesses we were being held back a bit, um, and then there were moments in time where maybe we felt like if we were a kid going down the slide the slide was wet and we would go down the slide really fast <laughs> because we had all this kind of power yeah. on some level behind us. So I kind of hear those kind of two kind of kind of sweeping statements and I think to myself some of it's true in one case and some of it's true a little bit in the other case. It a little bit depends on the moment in time, it depends on the business and it could depend on to a certain extent on the bank. Um yeah, I can I I can see that. Um, so then, um, we, we never, we never sort of had a moment where we would say, um, we want you to support us in this marketplace because you're an owner, right? That would have always been a short, um, ineffective conversation, no matter where we were at that moment in time. And no matter what business we were talking about, we always had to create that sort of proper value proposition. Okay. That makes sense. Um, so now that you, so you know, things clearly have changed. You're a public yeah. company. Um, uh, you've got all that behind you now. Um, you were presumably looking to expand, uh, and you're in credit yeah. already. Uh, you're all over rates. Uh, you're in equities as well. Um, I was wondering where the gaps are. Um, uh, yeah, good question. You know, one thing I would say for sure, and I think it's been a big highlight just in terms of how well we have done uh, globally in derivatives and interest rate swaps. We still feel like there's really good room for us um, in Europe specifically around European swaps. Um, but just in terms of, to your question, just around like different markets that we are in without, without kind of giving, giving away too much of the, of the playbook, even though um, we're having such a nice, pleasant conversation, um, and there is no beer, by the way. But, mm. but I would say... EM is very interesting opportunity for us, um, you know, because of the because of the role that we've had around the macro businesses, specifically derivatives, and because of a lot of the success that we're having in credit, we feel like that's an interesting uh, region and area for us. Okay, um, how about FX? Have you ever looked at that? Market? We have looked at FX, and, and there's a lot. You know, listen, that's a, it's a big, great market. It's it's, it's obviously kind of crowded. Um, and I would say we have not found the opportunity for us right now uh, in FX. 
Okay. Um, it's, a, it's obviously a very interesting and electronified marketplace. Yeah. Um, so then, uh, so a lot has changed uh, for TradeWeb. Yeah. A lot has changed outside of TradeWeb as well. So um, yeah. the one of the things that whenever we're talking to um, dealer uh, sources, there's a huge amount of talk over the last two years about automation, as there is in so many other industries as well. Um, and you've got auto pricing, auto execution, auto hedging in lots of different electronically traded instruments. It's old hat in equities, a little bit newer in FX, starting to spread into some of the bits of the rates, rates and credit world. How far can those practices go, do you think? They can go far. I mean, one thing I would say is there's always been a little bit of a um, a little bit of a of a of a disconnect between the level of sophistication between how the dealers tend to engage electronically with the marketplace and traditionally how the buy side has engaged with the marketplace. And one of the things I, I would say we have seen um, pretty dramatically is a real increase of sophistication coming from the buy side over the last couple of years. So, you know, real kind of early stage, obviously, around um, this adoption around AIX, and we've talked about how important that has been with the big, most important clients in terms of how they engage with the markets, whether or not that's government bonds or credit, um, et cetera. But we are still in kind of early stage around ultimately the level of sophistication when you talk about data and you talk about the ability to source and find liquidity in the marketplace. We're very early around that. Um, and I think one of the key sort of decisions that we've made has been a little bit around, hey, look, we're obviously going to be very sort of interested in getting our screens out in front of as many clients as we can, and the power of the network is really important. That being said, we're realistic in terms of how clients wind up aggregating and, ad and, and adapting into different marketplaces, and we're going to be leading edge around that adoption. So we've had a lot of of really strong success stories with the most important clients around how we've played a leading role in allowing them to aggregate into liquidity. This is a 100% kind of trend that's happening in the marketplace. And I think it's, uh, you know, it's still really early stage, um, you know, finding and sourcing liquidity the right way in all of these markets continues to be almost one of the most important things from the buy side. Yeah, and, and a really, uh, really fascinating topic as well, because it's, um, I guess MIFID two kicked off a big debate around um, best execution. Yeah, what it is, uh, and initially the tempting answer is, well, you just RFQ as many people as you can, and then you're bound to get the best price. Um, what you hear now from some people is that actually that can backfire in some instances, and people are thinking more about um, repeat business yeah. and execution. I think quality. it's smarter, more, more more sophisticated in terms of how they find the other side of the trade. Everything's getting kind of gearing more that way. And one of the interesting, I think, little things that we're talking about, Duncan, is around, you know, for example, like in credit, one of the big, I think, stories a few years ago, obviously, was around the the, the sort of expanded all-to-all -all marketplace and the, the the you know the buy sides need to really source and find liquidity out there into the all-to-all -all market. And I think you know, I've always been very clear about this from my perspective. I think Market Access did a great job in terms of you know in terms of the leadership role that they played around the move into all to all and fundamentally it's a very big and important and mainstream part of the marketplace 
What I find interesting is I feel like we're at this point now where we are almost developing past that. And some of what you're describing a little bit can be seen around how portfolio trading is becoming bigger and bigger. Um, if, if one of the bigger issues with the buy side over the past bunch of years was, hey, look, Billy, I have this bid list, offer list that I send out to you know, the banks. And the reality is, given what's happening in the marketplace, you know, the, the list comes back and 40% of my items or 50% of my items get, get filled, I have a problem. If on some level, all to all was the first step in trying to solve that issue, let me show this list out to more participants. In some ways, the more elegant solution around all of this stuff is the concept and I think the real kind of the embracement around portfolio trading. Um, and I think TradeWeb, I mean, I think one of the things that TradeWeb has done a really good job in, specifically in credit globally, has been around the development of tools, for example, like portfolio trading. Well, so, uh, so this, is, this is an interesting trend. It's the, um, like, similarly with the whole best execution thing, where it seemed probably the first answer was RFQ everyone. Um, a lot of the the initial thoughts around um, how market structure would evolve uh, in the post-crisis uh, era was around um, you know shrinking trade sizes, everything moving to clob, everything going all to all, and now you're seeing this kind of renewed interest in uh, list trading, portfolio trading, uh, getting blocks done. What 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 do you think is driving that? You know, I think it's just it's 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 a good question. It's almost like. Um some of that first level of innovation worked really well, but only worked to a certain extent. And so it's a little bit of, you know, in, from a sophisticated standpoint, how do you evolve it more? And I think this is just like the next stage of doing that. I would say, again, and you know, this this is this is sort of interesting. Um, if you sat down with one of of the large sort of um, buy-side type clients and you were having a conversation with them about maybe on some level like what their concerns are around these issues that we're kind of talking about, um, I would say, you know, day in and day out liquidity in the marketplaces that we are in is probably not like high on the list of their concerns. I would say one of the issues that comes up a little bit is just what's happened around a consolidation around kind of market makers. So, you know, if if five or six years ago that buy side customer was doing, you know, I'm, I'm you know, we're talking so I'm I'm sort of like riffing on the numbers, but if five or six years ago that customer was doing seventy percent of their business with eight or nine different types of banks, today seventy percent of that business tends to go to four or five of those banks. So there's been a real kind of shrinking around um, the counterparties. And that leads to another kind of interesting topic, I think, which is like who winds up picking up some of that momentum in the marketplace. And one of the things, obviously, that I think we all find interesting is like the roles you know, going forward that a Citadel or a Jane Street will play in market making. Um, a big move for, for TradeWeb over the past um, couple of years was getting into the order book world around treasury actives. 
Um, one of the things that's been really good for us are, in terms of that is developing this connectivity to new types of clients for us. You know, whether or not that's a jump um, or different types of PTF firms, clearly those, those, those firms are going to be formidable um, market makers in a variety of markets, whether or not it's treasuries, ETFs, or credit um, going forward. So this is one of the things that I always thought would perhaps be more difficult given the old ownership tr- structure was 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 there ever were there ever awkward conversations around some of some of those guys um awkward is a nice way of describing the polite it polite way S- sometimes th- sometimes it would go from awkward to less constructive on the reality of it all okay you know and sometimes what we would have to do is like just point things towards like hey look this is just reality and and on some level you know the reality is the landscape around what we're describing has been changing for a while I'm sure, you know, when TradeWeb was 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 becoming more mainstream in government bonds in the early parts of, you know, of 2000, we might not have predicted what would have happened around the rise of these PTF firms in the ecosystem of Treasury Actives, but that's where we are. Um, and so when we decided that we wanted to get into that business, it had to be kind of eyes wide open that this is the way you can succeed. There's always this sort of joke around kind of like the hot tub time machine like you know how do you go back in time and reset stuff right you know you you really don't because things just keep moving forward um but yeah awkward's a is a polite way of describing some of those conversations okay <laughs> um as you say it is it is what it is everybody's got to uh, deal with whatever reality is uh, is put in front of them um and one of the so one of the interesting things there i think is um again it, like a slightly contrarian thing um those guys ought to be and, and traditionally have been the biggest proponents of central limit order books out there but over the last uh, I guess two three years you've seen them uh, trying to build their own institutional client bases and get into direct streaming um, the argument always being that they they feel they can offer better prices bilaterally than they can in a central central limit order book has the shine gone off the club a little bit a little bit you know it's an interesting question I think that you're describing it I think well and um I think some of it's around that. I would always, I, I kind of also a little bit simplify it around the concept that I think the market always looks to support competition the right way. And I think that one of the ways that the market has decided to create competition in the Treasury Actives market around kind of what's happened in terms of market share in the central limit order book world where obviously CME has a very strong market share, I think is to create competition. And the way that the market has created competition has been around some of these kind of streaming protocols. Um, And I think, you know, TradeWeb obviously, I think Eyes Wide Open feels like that's an important protocol that's kind of here to stay. And so we are putting the right amount of energy and investment into making sure that we are a leader in that emerging protocol. I think it's it's an important um, strategic move for the company. Yeah, what's the um, what's the fee schedule like though for streaming business compared to more, more traditional businesses? You, I'm, I'm assuming you don't make as much money on a stream as you. Yeah, do. without yeah, it's a good question. Without obviously getting into kind of all of that sort of specifics around the fee schedule, yeah, you have to price that service you know on the screws because of the nature of liquidity, because of the tightness of the bid ask, because of the laser like focus of the pricing. So you have to be able to, but you know, the truth of the matter is, Duncan, in all of the businesses that we are in, 
I think we are extremely exact um, and do a lot of research um, and homework around what the proper kind of pricing model amongst all of these businesses are. But your point around on, around actives is for sure a good one. Okay, so um, the uh, so I wanted to ask you a little bit about the the kind of the evolving competitive landscape mm. because you so you're seeing these different um, kind of protocols emerge um, and different markets kind of pop up. Um, what 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 is the difference now today between an exchange and a multilateral platform and uh, an old style interdealer broker? <laughs> there's you know there's there's that's a good question. There's there's like a, you know there's like a bunch of differences, but the way I kind of I mean tell me tell me what you think about this. The way I sort of think about the world a little bit is, you know, you have from the way TradeWeb is set up, you have obviously. You know, we always think about Bloomberg, and and because they they are a formidable and real competitor, and we've sort of, you know, honed our business from the early days with Bloomberg, um, you know, right beside us in all of the businesses and marketplaces that we are in, and we are, you know, obviously in every way extremely respectful of the network that they have, and the way they've gone about stuff. In terms of kind of the developing of the of the different protocols that we're talking about, you know, they have the big network. Um, I would say they've been, from my perspective, again, I'm, I'm, I'm blunt, a little bit behind in terms of how they've decided to build and develop some of these things around direct streams and central limit order books and the possible migration of clients into that world. Um, and then on the other side, obviously, you have... Um, you know, firms like Now Next um, with CME and you have NASDAQ um, who have kind of thrived in the kind of dealer to dealer, machine to machine, you know, space all these years. And yeah. obviously, like eyes wide open again, you know, we're very conscious of competing with them in certain businesses that we are in and the cloud and heft that they bring into the marketplace. What I would say on that side a little bit is obviously the thing that they are after in a lot of ways is this big network of clients and customers that TradeWeb and Bloomberg kind of live in. So in an interesting way to your question, when I, when I describe the landscape that way, my general feeling is, again, you know, I am, I am honest and blunt. I'm also capable a little bit of, of, of talking our own book. Our feeling is we're really well positioned because of the fact that we have this big network of customers and because of the fact, um, obviously, that we've had a real willingness and a leadership around innovation in, around this new kind of technology, whether or not you're talking about the order book or the streams. Uh, networks are obviously like an enormous yeah. strategic yeah. asset to have. Our, one of the more in entertaining conversations I had this year was with um, like a structured equity guy out in Asia, dealer. Uh, who was terrified about the prospect that Grab, the Singaporean ride-hailing guys, uh, <laughs> having amassed a huge network of wealthy, young, affluent people in the world's fastest-growing markets might decide to start selling them financial services instead of delivering food or yeah, delivering them from place to place or whatever. Um, so, yeah, networks. It's matter. a big deal, right? I think I'm trying to remember, like, you know, when we were beginning to form the story around, you know, the, you know, the story that we would tell... Um, ultimately to the investors as part of the roadshow. I don't know if Lee had it on like the first sentence of the first page, but network was like front and center, obviously, because you're dead right. Like the power of that network is so huge. 
And I think it resonates, by the way, as we went out and, t- and, and told the story. I think people picked up on that really quickly. It's, you know, in some ways, interestingly, I would say it's maybe become, you know, more difficult as time has gone on and, and, and some resources become more constrained to um, develop that network if you don't have it. Um, so I think, you know, the things that TradeWeb put in place in, in you know, globally um, around developing and building out that network way back when, whether or not that's the late 90s or the early 2000s or whatever, I think was probably in some ways the best work the company did. Could, um, there's been a lot of talk about this over the last few years, could, um, could that network be um, uh, disconnected by something like Symphony? Oh, God. Not easily. I mean, I get, I, I, I sort of, uh, I get your question, and um, you know, we, we, we stay engaged with with, with, with Symphony, and, and I don't have a big opinion on exactly where they are. Again, very honestly and very bluntly, um, I do know that there's a lot of smart people that work at that company, and there's something that they are after that I think is ultimately interesting. You know, the 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 sort of competition against Bloomberg um, around messaging can be difficult. My sense has been um, the challenge is around building out their network um, and getting and getting sort of their messaging and what they've been after out installed and connected into, you know, the broader network slash clients. Um, so I, I, you know, we're, we're conscious of them. We have good open uh, communication with that company. Um, you know, it's 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 interesting. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, partners can become competitors. Competitors become partners. The world, the world will remain uh, interesting. I think. Yeah, like so many things in this space, the story has not been written yet, and it's yeah. it's difficult to know where yeah, it ends up. Um, uh, on so while we're talking about this stuff, I had a, a, another conversation I had recently it was with um, uh, one of the big uh, IDBs um, who said that they no longer see the other IDBs as their main competition when the senior management team all gets together they spend less time talking about how they can grab market share from each other and they spend more time talking about you and market access and bloomberg that surprised me a little bit how much time do you spend talking about the interdealer brokers um you know it's, it, i'm not surprised to hear you describe it that way because um, i feel like that segues back to what we were describing which is like the power you know kind of of this network and so when I think when you describe it that way, what I kind of hear a little bit is like they're after the network, right? They're you know how do we how do we get those clients to sort of right? Um, we spend time we spend time thinking about them because there are businesses that we're in that kind of directly competes with them. You got dealer web, yeah, obviously. yeah. Um, but that being said, I would say we are sort of always always focused on kind of our own business challenges and how do we grow our own markets and, you know, how do we stay massively connected and solve problems for our clients? Um, you know, I think I think that the history shows that we've been able to do that for a long time um, and we feel like we are, you know, in a really good place with the, with the clients that matter the most to us. But it's an interesting, it is an interesting kind of, um, you know, dynamic um I don't know if it's like just sort of, um, you know, I don't want to, I'll make a joke. I guess we're allowed to joke even without the beers, but it's like, I don't know if it's exactly like sort of like multiple-itis, um, <laughs> you know, that everyone's caught a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Um, that may be it. 
yeah, yeah, that may be it. <laughs> um, uh, and then there was um, one, you know, much smaller, more focused uh, rival for a while was Truex. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when um, Dodd Frank came along and uh, the swap execution facility was first mooted, and there were I don't know eight, ten guys who were you know talking about getting into that business and quite quickly it shrank to about I don't know I don't know how many actually made it over the the start line like four or five maybe um if you don't count the uh, the interdealer mm-hmm. uh, clubs so the dealer to client ones there weren't very many and then uh, within you know not very long at all it was three and now it's two um do you have any sympathy with Truex at all um I, you know I I don't know enough to be honest and, and this is not to sound glib I don't know enough about them to have Sort of symphony. Uh, I said symphony. I meant sympathy. Uh, sympathy um, in the in the way that you're describing. But what I can say is, for sure, I remember a moment where, you know, I was at some, you know, some Ceph conference, and there were like I don't know if it was fifteen or twenty, or there was just like all of these. Um, you know, entities out there that declared themselves CEFs and felt like there was that business opportunity there. Um, I, I think we're kind of back to this similar topic around the power of the network and the and the sort of real advantage that 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 network gives you. I mean, I think one of the things that I think the community knows really well is one of the, for example, in 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 dollar swaps, one of the real big obviously consumers of, of dollar swaps happens to be, as you know, um, mortgage mortgage type customers. The GSEs. Yeah. So so our kind of leading profile in mortgages helped us massively as we um, you know, I think for sure became one of the real winners around um, you know, the cre- the creation of SEFs. Um, you can't kind of create that um, that network if you if you don't have it in the way that we did and so i think that was a really big advantage for us yeah I, my understanding of what the the truex strategy was um was that they they tried really hard to try and uh, kind of reverse engineer a market attract the buy side and then hopefully if the buy side was there you know the dealers would come on board as well um and their claim was always that the dealers just didn't want to play ball um do you, do you don't don't that? don't have a big comment on that um I would say the balance around these things is always like really important, you know, and, and I think, um, you know, I remember when I first started working at TradeWeb and, you know, within my first sort of like maybe like two or three weeks there, um, I'm pretty sure like I knew my way around the office and I was getting myself acclimated and I was figuring out like what all this technology was really about. Um, you know, I, I certainly very early on had some really interesting meetings at you know, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley and, and Lehman back there, et cetera. But then it was not long after that where it was like, you know, hit the road, dude. And I and it was like, you know, welcome to PIMCO, welcome to WAMCO. Right. You know, there's this other universe out there of, of the biggest, most important, most vocal buy-side clients. And if you can connect in with them and deliver them into your marketplace, you are, um, you know, you're in the catbird seat. Yeah. So I think we've tried to figure out that balance um, around exposure and solving the needs in a way that worked, you know, very early on. Good stuff. So we're, we're running out of time. Um, I was going to save a bit of time to ask about Brexit, um, but 
I mean, honestly, I would take, <laughs> given that we're here in London, I would take no joy in asking yeah, that question. Okay. I find it too depressing. So we can just skip that. We, bit. we can. We can. Um... But I do have some. Um, I, I would say let, let's let's. We've done a lot of shop talk. Yeah. Let's, let's put the shop talk to one sure. side. Uh, I've got a few um, sort of random quickfire questions for you, which, if you'll indulge us, please. So if you were if you were exiled from the U.S., I, I'm not. I, I don't want anybody to speculate about what might cause Billy Holt to be exiled <laughs> from the U.S. But if, if it I, ever happened, I think exiling <laughs> exiling from Manhattan would be uh, would be. Uh, <laughs> All right. So you probably answered the question. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so where where would you go if you were if you booted I, it's out the easy for me you know I would go to London I love the city I mean it's it's it, to me every time I come here I'm just uh, you know it, it it reminds me in in very cool ways of New York City um, but it's so it's 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 a great city um, so it would it would be London okay good uh, I'm glad you like it here um, you so you tweet. Mm. Does your does your Twitter feed make you think that the human race is doing okay, or that it needs some help generally? On well, the you know, interesting because you know we were talking a little bit about um, sort of things that have changed when the company went public. One of the things that changed was my Twitter feed. So I used to like before we were public, I would feel very comfortable kind of tweeting about anything that um, <laughs> sort of hit my brain. Um, some of them might be a James Joyce quote. Some of them might be my comment on you know, the, the, the lines at the airport. Um, that changed because if you look at my Twitter feed since we went public, it's, it's, it's basically all back to shop talk. It's right. basically all work. <laughs> um, <laughs> but to your question, uh, I think, I think what was the question about the world needs more work? Yeah, I, hu- humans. Are, human, are we doing okay? I, my Twitter feed is not sure. Okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, uh, I, yeah, I have that. I yeah. have the same feeling. Yeah. Um, digital currency, mm. good or bad? I'd say good. You know. I, you know. It's funny. I. Um, I'm sure you did. We were talking about reading before. Um, I read the book about the. You know the the. Um, who's the writer that that um, wrote the book on the Facebook twins? And they're, you know, accidental billionaires, I think it was called, or something like that. And I read their book about the sort of beginning parts of digital currency, found the story interesting about, like, um, innovation and kind of how entrepreneurs, where they come from. I think it's been an interesting story, and uh, and obviously I don't have a huge sort of prediction about where it's going, but I I, I find it a super interesting um, story. Some of the smartest people in my business have been involved in digital currency, you know, obviously for a bunch of years now. so I think it's interesting. Yeah, um, you know, maybe in the pre-crisis days, the derivatives market sucked up a load of the uh, brightest minds of uh, of the generation, and now maybe, yeah, maybe some of those guys are ending up somewhere else, which uh, which would be interesting. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of brain power in that space. Um, this, so this is a, this is a tough one. Is the Earth spherical or flat? <laughs> I think you know. By the way, I'm a. Um, I'm a, you know, we, you, you asked me about cricket and then you, you, you made a funny joke about baseball. I'm a big basketball fan. There's, there's, a, there's a guy named Kyrie Irving who, uh, he played basketball at Duke and um, now he's on the, on the Brooklyn Nets. Um, and he's been out there talking about how the world is flat. Huh. So I, I like him a lot. Okay. So no, I, I thought it was. Uh, so and, what, and what's your view? Uh, you know, I like Kyrie a lot. So I. Okay. You, you don't want to. I. You know, I, I don't want to go against his no, his enough. thoughts. No, that's that's yeah, yeah uh, entirely sensible. <laughs> um, if if Mike Bloomberg becomes the Democratic presidential candidate, would you consider voting for him? Uh, you know, 
I would. I actually, you know, I have to say, um, I've met him a few times, and I, I've always found him super impressive. Um, without getting into a big, heavy-duty kind of political conversation, just from my standpoint, um, he has the right uh, sort of combination. We talk about balance a little bit. He has the right combination of sort of uh, social liberalness that kind of fits my eye with an interesting kind of sort of uh, you know relative fiscal conservatism, which which is sort of fits my eye. So I would say. Um, Yes, you know the the question is is you know is he ultimately um, liberal enough in where today's um, political sort of world is to get the nomination? Yeah, but that's a it's a good question. I've been always impressed with him. Um, do you have any phobias? No, uh, the only the only the only maybe thing I would answer around that is, um, and I, I am going to make you kind of giggle at this. Um, I had a, I had a breakfast yesterday morning with the London. Uh, some people from my London uh, office and they were nice enough to kind of like have food, obviously at the breakfast, that food happened to be eggs. Huh. I've never, I've never um, been able to eat an egg. So we, we can, we can describe that as a phobia. No, of that's, sorts. that's close enough. Yeah. So what in, in any form, <laughs> fried, poached, scrambled, any, any form that exists. Wow. Yeah. yeah so, all, uh, all forms so far known to man. That feels like a phobia. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. That, that, that counts. <laughs> Uh, and then, yeah. So, a final thing, uh, and this is this is a tough. This is also a tough one. I should I should probably have warned you about this. Yeah. Can you, off the bat, uh, with no prep, uh, can you tell us a joke? Um, I'll I'll go first I, if you yeah, want a bit of time to think of. Think can of I look one up on my phone? Of course, yeah. Well, I don't have my phone with me. All uh, right. Well, then, <laughs> then no. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so uh, this one I got from one of my kids the other day. Um, uh, they told me that apparently the um, all Danish military vessels now have um, a barcode uh, painted on the side. Uh, apparently, it's so that they can Scandinavian. <laughs> okay. So, I I um I think. I, I play a fair amount of golf, which I didn't mention to you, so I, I am aware of a couple of jokes, none of which I can tell <laughs> you at this exact moment. Most people um, describe me as a fairly funny person, but I absolutely have no joke to share. Oh, this is this is a and it's a it's a, it's a family show, yeah. Uh, so uh, it's probably best if we keep those under wraps. Yeah. Um, look, Billy, um, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it too. I really enjoyed it. And uh, thanks for being um, such a good sport. Thank you. Thank you.